0: His hair is parted in the middle, left side, and on the right side. He has a burning desire to work with the youth and spends all his time with the senior members. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his work. He makes 15 visitations to church members each day, spends all his time evangelizing the lost, and is always available in his office for unannounced drop-in visits. Order yours today. But seriously, folks, if there were such a model pastor, wouldn't the synod clone him and multiply him? Yeah. Multiply your ministry. That's what uh, we pastors are often told to do. I was encouraged by pastors to become a pastor. Pastors have a joyous calling, To share Christ in His saving death and resurrection with people. He gets to speak the message of salvation from sin and death every day to people. People like you. At Camp Lutherwood last week, I got to catch up with one of my professional colleagues in the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, who's retiring after 35 years of ministry in Salem. He got to impact thousands of lives with the name of Jesus. He couldn't recount all the people he'd baptized since 1987, but he estimated it was close to 1,000. In my 13 years, I've baptized 85 people. And that's a great joy. It's also a great joy when a pastor can encourage another young man for the ministry to multiply the ministry. Now, it may be more, you know, if, when that's done, it may be more hundreds or thousands of precious souls that he's able to touch with the gospel of Jesus, even if indirectly. Jesus, as you know, multiplied his ministry. He chose 12 men to be his disciples and sent them out as apostles. He multiplied his ministry by 12 We know one of them was bad, but he was replaced after Jesus came out of the tomb and ascended. And in our reading today from Luke, he multiplied his ministry six times more when he sends out the 72 apostles. The interesting thing is is that Jesus is the one person who didn't need to multiply his ministry. He could have done everything he wanted to do all by himself with his power and authority from God the Father. We sometimes think it would have been better that way, but instead he chose to use others, sinful, fallible men, like the 12 and the 72 and yours truly. And as imperfectly as we pastors do it, our joyous job is the same as these men at its core. The 72 disciples are sent as lambs in the midst of wolves, as are pastors today. Every time I visit one of you in your home, I am to greet you and say, Peace be to this house. I don't always remember to do that. And if I'm immediately greeted by a, jo- a dog jumping on me, I'm likely to forget the greeting of the apostles. But that's the way they greeted. And this was the new greeting of the 72 for the new content of their message, which was, we are reconciled to God by Jesus' death on a cross. And that brings you peace. I am to eat and drink whatever is provided in the house that I visit. I've had some really good coffee and some really tasty cookies over the last 13 years. It was the same for the 72. They took no money bag, no backpack, no sandals, but established a fellowship at the table in the houses in which they were welcomed, making them the first churches. You know, like house churches. Pastors today are also sacrificial lambs. Sacrificing income comparable with those in their community with the same education level and professional experience. They sacrifice popularity and sometimes even their safety. All to foster fellowship with Christ's people where they serve. The 72 were prime targets for brigands, you know, uh, land pirates. uh, What do you call them? Bandits. Bandits. And they owned practically nothing to begin with. Then there's the healing of the sick. The 72 were sent where Jesus himself was coming to restore what was broken in creation since the fall. A good example of this was the lake in Galilee and that whole surrounding area including Gerasa, which we've heard about these last couple Sundays, as well as Capernaum, which you heard in the reading, And Magdala, where where Mary Magdalene was from, when she had multiple demons. The forces of evil and darkness had inhabited these areas. And this was a region Jesus stepped into to heal the demoniacs and the sick and raise the dead. The apostles were sent out from there to do the same in other places. Some people today ask, well, why can't pastors heal the sick like the apostles did back then? Well, we bring the same good news to people and pray for the sick just as they did. And I have placed my hand on people and asked for healing in the name of Jesus as they did. The results are God's, not mine. And in each case, the promise of full bodily and soul restoration is the same for everyone and will happen to all believers on the last day. As Christ was present in the healings by the 72, so Christ was in their proclaiming the kingdom. They didn't just go out and heal people. It was all in the context of telling people the word of God and the promises of Jesus and what He had done. Pastors do the same today. We proclaim Christ is here and the messages, the sacrament of baptism, the Lord's Supper, and the confession and absolution that we just had together. The 72 disciples speak for Jesus as pastors do today. Jesus tells them, the one who hears you hears me. Sure, every Christian can stay home and read their Bible silently in their head and hear Jesus speaking to them, But the scriptures were written to be heard. That's the way they came into being. God was heard originally. Moses was heard. The prophets were heard. Jesus was heard. And so their words were written down for others to be read aloud to others. In this church, it has happened in some instances that people have lost their ability to hear. I don't know, we should have a a sign language translator so that none of our people are ever excluded from hearing God's Word. So if you have this talent, please let me know. Jesus multiplied His ministry so that more people could see Him speaking in the flesh. The 72 in their own bodies, or they carry in their own bodies, Jesus' redemption and peace in the words that they speak to people. When pastors today speak in the stead and by the command of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to preach, to announce forgiveness, it's the same as hearing the word from Jesus himself. But these 72 men would also face rejection. They wouldn't always be gladly received into into everyone's home. That's why Jesus says to them, the one who rejects you rejects me. The 72 would follow the pattern of sacrifice shown in the prophets of Israel, foreshadowing Jesus' own rejection. Pastors today have to expect to be rejected, and I know what that's like. Not that it's happened among you dear people, but I've not always been received well in this community. And other places I've gone, or online, and let me tell you, that's the worst place as far as rejection. But Jesus says, "The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me." And that's pretty serious. <clears throat> that's rejecting God the Father. The maker of everything and ruler of the universe. You can't be in opposition of anyone of a higher authority. Rejecting the 72 meant rejecting God's only way of salvation. To reject the proclamation of Christ is to condemn oneself to judgment by God to eternal torment. Now, you know, there's a cancer growing among the Christian world. Well, there are many cancers growing among Christians worldwide, but one of them is the dismissal of hell. In other words, everything's good. Everything's fine. All people are going to heaven Hell will be empty on the last day because love wins and that kind of thing. This is not what the Apostle John witnesses in his vision from God. On the last day, there will be a judgment from God and a separating of the multitudes who believed in God and the multitudes who wanted nothing to do with Him or His Christ or His Holy Spirit. John saw Hades and wrote about it so that you and I would hear about it and have knowledge of it. It's not a threat so that some would believe. There are those who will never believe. And John even says there will be some who will continue to hurl insults at Jesus and curse Him even as they are being separated from those who are saved. Not to mention Jesus here in our reading references Hades, which is interesting because Jesus is using the Greek mythological name for the underworld when he speaks to his disciples. You know, he's, he's using a term that they, that they understand because they are Mediterranean people. And everyone who lived in that region of the world had been influenced by Greek culture. Nevertheless, Hades means hell when Jesus uses the word. To deny its existence or dismiss it as some metaphor is to dismiss Jesus' teachings about these things. They're serious, and there there are serious consequences to unbelief, consequences we don't like because they involve people we know and love. But we must remember constantly that God's judgment is just, right, perfect. It's our human judgment that's fallible. And it is true that God's love wins over the devils in so much as he is defeated. Jesus saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, which is just a glimpse of what happened in this battle between God and Satan where he was banished to the earth and given some powers over it. But Jesus is also saying to the 72 apostles that Satan will be on the run, so to speak, by their work in the kingdom of God. Pastors like me today aren't likely to see spectacular results of this, like mass conversions to Christianity or revivals or awakenings. But invisibly, it's happening. People's names are being written in heaven even those who have not been conceived yet. Forget big numbers, my friends. Those days may be in the past. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice that the 72 names of the apostles are written in heaven, even though we don't know them. Rejoice that all believers in Christ's names are written in heaven, past, present, and future, including yours and mine. Reminds me of another joke I heard at camp last week. <clears throat> Let's see if this one gets more of a chuckle out of you than the first one, all right? A woman dies and goes to heaven. And she's met by St. Peter at the gate of heaven. And she says, well, he says, welcome. And she says, well, what must I do to get into heaven? He says, you have to spell a word. Just spell one word for me. She says, okay, what's the word? He says, spell hope, okay, H-O-P-E, welcome into heaven, the St. Peter says, and she walks in, and he says, immediately says, <clears throat> you know, look, I have to go do something for a little, I have to take care of something, could you stay here, please, and, and watch the gate, and, and, and anyone who comes, you know, you ask them to spell something. She says, okay. So he goes away, and she's standing there. Wouldn't you know it, the first person who shows up is her husband of 40 years, And she says, Hank, what are you doing here? He says, well, I died shortly after you did, so here I am. What must I do to get into heaven? She says, well, you have to spell a word. He says, well, what's the word? She says, spell (laughs) anti-disestablishmentarianism. I leave you today with the same proclamation of the 72 apostles. Jesus' death on the cross and His resurrection has given you eternal life. Your names, too, are written in the book of life. And thankfully, we don't have to spell a word. I pray it gives you peace and brings you joy. Amen.